This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast. I am Hal Hammonds, and I am a citizen of heaven, and I am your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. I bring you this message of hope today from Pensacola, Florida. This is report number 27, dated October 8th in the year of our Lord, 2019. I bid God's grace and peace to all my fellow sojourners here in this earthly plane. I remain sound in body, a learned in mind, and energized in spirit. I'm pleased to bring you this report of my recent labors in the Lord. Here's a synopsis. I've been preaching about our storm shelter. You can embrace the danger, ignore it, hope to escape it, or seek a shelter that guarantees your safety. You choose. I've been reading Miracle at the High Grounds Cafe by Max Lucado, Candice Lee, and Eric Newman. If you could ask God anything, what would it be? I might ask, why aren't Christians satisfied with reading the Bible? I've been hearing Greta Thunberg's diatribes about climate change. Children should not be allowed to talk about serious matters in public. If that makes me a grumpy old man, so be it. I've been playing La Isla, a game in which you capture animals thought to have been extinct. What do the animals want? Who cares? They're animals. Are you ready? Here we go. This is what I've been preaching. You may not have noticed, but it's a dangerous world out there if you're going to be a Christian. It's dangerous enough if you're not going to be a Christian, but especially dangerous to your faith, dangerous to your relationship with God. It takes effort. It takes diligent effort, in fact. And the problems that Satan is going to throw at you are real. They are substantial. And thank God we have a shelter that is provided for us. It's alluded to in a number of times in the text and described in any number of ways. I'll refer this uh, this podcast to Isaiah chapter 4 and starting in verse number 4. We'll back up to verse number 2. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the earth will be the pride and the adornment of the survivors of Israel. It'll come about that he who is left in Zion or remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the bloodshed of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning, then the Lord will create over the whole area of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day, even smoke, and the brightness of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory will be a canopy. There will be a shelter to give shade from the heat by day and refuge and protection from the storm and the rain. If you know the story of the Israelites in the wilderness, you can't help but notice a few images that are taken there. That that pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that guided the Israelites through the wilderness that stood between them and their enemies that showed in a physical form the presence of God among them. You may also think about the cloud of glory that inhabited the tabernacle in the wilderness, that inhabited the temple later on in the days of Solomon. This, again, physical presence, this cloud that showed the presence of God. This is the shelter that is provided for us in Jesus Christ. And I think the primary meaning here is messianic, that there is coming a time when spiritual Israel, spiritual Jerusalem, is going to be given comfort and protection and shade under the cloud of God. And, and what a wonderful concept that is. I wonder, though, if it's significant that the text here talks about the spirit of burning in this context, where he's talking about smoke. Maybe it's 
the spirit of burning that creates the smoke. Maybe our lives in God are inherently dangerous and that it's not necessarily a bad thing. That this spirit of burning that comes upon the people of God burns away our our weaknesses and our shallowness and our lack of commitment. And the more we find ourselves in the presence of God, the more purified we find ourselves. This is what happens to the ones who willingly and eagerly seek out this shelter. A lot of people don't do that. A lot of people would rather live dangerous lives, including a lot of Christians for some reason. A lot of Christians would like to live on the edge, as it were. And maybe being American makes it more like that. Because in America, we like to live dangerous lives, but we know that it can't be that dangerous because they'd get sued if, if we got actually hurt. There's going to be some kind of protection there, whether we realize it or not. And I think that a lot of Christians think of God the same way. I'll live my life however I want to live, and ultimately God's going to save me anyway. That's not what it means to come under the shelter of the Almighty. When it talks about coming into God's shelter, into God's presence, it means that we are going to have to deliberately work through the danger, uh, trust in God to avoid sin, to avoid temptation as much as we possibly can, to confess our fault when we fall prey to it, when we do not measure up like we ought to. Trust in God that his process, that his purification, his refining process is working in us at all times. We need to acknowledge how dangerous sin is. We need to avoid it as much as we possibly can, not to just deal with it or find out what a, a moderate amount might be, but rather as children of God who are pursuing the holiness, who are pursuing righteousness, rejoice in the fact that we are protected from sin by the grace of God and not, as Paul says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, sin the more that grace may increase. We rejoice in grace, yes, absolutely, but we do not take advantage of grace to further our own indulgences. We trust in God, we believe in God, and we thank God for his shelter. But we use that canopy of protection to draw closer to him rather than indulging our own vices and becoming more like the devil wants us to be. God has higher things in mind for us than that. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. Anyway, that's what I've been preaching. This is what I've been reading. I have never purchased a Max Lucado book before. I'm not sure that I've ever read a Max Lucado book before. I've said for years, though, based on the, the philosophy that I'd heard uh, from him and what I'd heard about his writings and such, that, that you could read whatever book you wanted to and never get any false doctrine because you're not going to get very much doctrine at all. Uh, Max seems to be uh, determined to blur the lines between denominational bodies and, and different so-called branches of Christianity and things of that nature. If, if you, you can agree on embracing Jesus Christ, that seems more and more to be all that matters. I hope I'm not being unfair to, to Mr. Max. But uh, having read my first book of his, I, I'm not inclined to think that I was on the wrong track. Miracle at the Higher Grounds Cafe is a work of fiction. And it's important to emphasize that. It's a work of fiction. It's about a woman who is down on her luck and her marriage is falling apart and she's struggling with her faith and angels intervene directly in her life to fix her life as it were it's about guardian angels essentially angels who are walking among human beings i don't know how you feel about guardian angels i don't know how i feel about guardian angels quite frankly hebrews chapter one emphasizes how angels are ministering spirits that that are 
sent to to take care of us. Exactly how that works, I don't know. I think a lot of very elaborate philosophy and theology has developed around the idea of guardian angels. And, and it's a great example of us delving into spiritual realms where we just don't have a whole lot of information. All we know is that God is involved in our lives and that traditionally he has involved angels in his interactions with human beings, whether it's Abraham or, or Peter in prison or on and on we could go. Uh, this is how God interacts with human beings while we are here in the flesh. And sometimes he did so personally. Does God still do that? I don't know. I have my serious doubts. I'm not going to get into why that is the case. But if he does, that's fine. Uh, we can have a discussion about guardian angels another time. My main issue with this book is what the angels do, how they wind up fixing this woman's problem. What happens is they install this router in her coffee shop. You know, people go to coffee shops to, to surf the Internet. Well, this router only reaches God. And you are allowed to ask God one question, and then God will give you an answer. And and the answers, quite frankly, are pretty biblically based. I thought the answers were pretty good, the answers that people will ask of God and such. Uh, I, I don't know that that's my issue. My, my issue is more basic than that. And, and it's not just the matter of there's no such thing as a God blog. Uh, that's, that's part of it. But somebody might say, well, this is a work of fiction. How you need to adjust. You need to get over this. And maybe that's true. But there is very definitely a feeling among Christians that says God needs to be specifically relevant to my specific moment. I, I have to ask him about how I'm, what's, what's going on with my child or what's going on with my job or what's going on with my marriage and, and get God to specifically intervene in my life so that I can know how this particular aspect of my life is going to turn out, how I can trust in him for this particular aspect. It's yet another manifestation of this urge that people have to make Christianity so-called relevant. And what we mean by relevant is pertaining to the affairs of this life. And I'm not suggesting that God does not intervene in the affairs of this life, that your carnal concerns are of no matter to God. I'm not saying that. I am saying this that the Bible equips us for every good work. The text says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, that all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places are given to us in Christ Jesus, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, 2 Peter 1 and, uh, and verse 3, that we are given all things pertaining to life and godliness. If you want to live your life God's way, the Bible will equip you for that. And that involves your marriage, and that involves your family, and involves your work and your finances and all that. But primarily it involves bringing Jesus Christ into your life and into your heart and helping you be the Christian that you ought to be. The more we emphasize the practical aspects of, of God, and, and again, by practical, I'm talking about day-to-day, -day, carnal affairs. The more you think about God as fixing your life, your day, your hour, as it were, putting more money in your bank account, giving you more friends, helping you with your physical health. The, the more we think of God in physical terms, the less emphasis we place on spiritual things. God has higher things involved than uh, higher things in mind for you than, than just getting you out of some fix that quite likely you got into yourself. The answer that got, comes back from God all the time from the Bible is always the same. Trust in me. Build your faith. Read your Bible. Stay away from sin. Pursue holiness. Pursue righteousness. That's not the answers that we oftentimes want to hear from God because that's not the questions that we're asking God. The question you ought to be asking God is, is my soul right?
Am I right with God? Am I living my life in his way? And I have every confidence that if you pick up your Bible and you listen to what God is trying to tell you, you can and you will get the answers that you're looking for, the answers that you absolutely cannot do without. You don't need some special router. You don't need some special modem. All you need is your Bible. That will give you everything that you need. Anyway, that's what I've been reading. This is what I've been hearing. So now Greta Thunberg has been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. What is happening on this planet? Aren't we tired of being completely and totally ridiculous yet? Now granted, the Nobel Peace Prize has been a joke for decades. I, I understand that. And o president Obama got the Nobel Peace Prize for being elected president before he did anything at all to pursue peace. And so it's no surprise that Greta Thunberg is going to be recognized here, or at least people are talking about it. Uh, this this young 16-year-old Swedish girl uh, is, is a, an advocate for climate change. Fine, whatever. And and there are a lot of people with undisguised political agendas who see that as a as something to be lauded and something to be put in the co category of world politics and and peace mongering and that sort of thing, which is a joke. But whatever. Again, that's not my issue today. What I want to talk about is this very concept that a 16 year old child is standing up in front of the world and lecturing us. Uh, and, and then to top it all off. The people who are on her side want to weigh in and say, what is the problem with all these people having such vitriol against this young woman? What's, what's the root for all the vitriol? I don't see any vitriol. I don't see anybody at all being angry with this young girl. I see people disagreeing with her. I see people uh, trying to, to marginalize what she has to say. I don't see anybody being angry. You want some vitriol? I'm going to give you some vitriol. Uh, if you want to know what vitriol against Greta Thunberg looks like, you came to the right place. And here it is. This is a young woman who is determined to only see things from her point of view. And, and from her perspective, she uh, says that she has Asperger's and, and that this is a blessing to her because it helps her see things only in black and white. That she sees that, that the world actually is really very much a black and white kind of thing. That these gray areas that the adults want to focus on is just wrong. And she is trying to guilt shame the entire planet to think the way that she thinks. That is the way a child thinks. That is not about Asperger's. That's not about liberal politics. That's not about environmentalism. That's about what a child is like. And Greta Thunberg is a child. It is simply put, not appropriate for a 16 year old to discuss these kind of things. Not in public. Now, you want to discuss these things over the over the dining room table or, or at a, a private soiree of your own, whatever. That's, that's fine. But as far as turning children into experts, this is insanity. Greta Thunberg does not know what she's talking about. It's not her fault. It's not her parents' fault. It's just simply a fact. She is not capable of understanding these kind of things. She hasn't been on this planet long enough. 
And when she gets off of her script, when she's not actually reading, she has to respond to questions and that sort of thing. You find out she really doesn't even know her own position, let alone the positions of other people. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, the text says in Proverbs 22, verse 13, and, and it needs to be beaten out of them. I, I'm not suggesting particular uh, avenues of, of parental discipline for that particular child. I don't know Greta Thunberg. I don't know her parents. I don't know what's appropriate and not appropriate. What I do know is this, that children need to understand what it means to be an adult. And they need to understand how valuable experience and wisdom are. This is a problem that we wrestle with all over the, the, the social and spiritual spectrum. There have always been young people who thought they knew better than older people. That's natural. I was one of those younger people. Somehow I managed to live to tell the tale. And now I'm a not quite so young person. And now I'm able to look at people who are younger than me and appreciate that I have a considerable leg up on them as far as world experience and points of view and that sort of thing, which is not to say that I discount their judgment, discount their wisdom, discount their, their knowledge, because I don't. But they certainly are not in position to dismiss mine any more than I am in position to dismiss that of people who are older than me. Somebody who's 20 years older than me is not necessarily right. Somebody who's 20 years younger than me is not necessarily wrong. But the experience that we've had on this earth is valuable and we need to value it. We need to not shame it and embarrass people for having a different point of view. It's highly ironic that, that this young girl is being nominated for a peace prize. I've never seen anyone less peaceable than this young woman. She is determined to make war with absolutely everybody who disagrees with her, who will not give her exactly what she wants, exactly when she wants it. That is natural for children. We understand that. We work with that. We teach that. We do not put that on display as some kind of moral or political example for the rest of the world to follow after. That's why we're in the mess that we're in right now because adults think that everything has to be done exactly the way that I say it has to be done. That's We've trained a generation of adult-aged children. We need to start respecting one another and valuing the insights and the wisdom and the experience that other people offer, especially those who are older. I, I realize that Second Timothy, First uh, Timothy chapter 4 and verse uh, 12 says, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. But understand what he says and what he doesn't say there. He's not saying that Timothy is valuable because he's young. He's saying that you need to live your life in such a way that people won't reject you simply because you're young. Don't act like a stereotypical young person. Act beyond your age. Act with extra wisdom in your speech, in your conduct, in your behavior. Help people see Jesus living in you rather than some arrogant, snot-nosed child. Timothy needs to be beyond that. I need to be beyond that. Greta Thunberg needs to be beyond that. We all need to grow in our ability to communicate with one another civilly, politely, kindly, patiently. Not tr treat one another like we're all a bunch of eight-year-olds in the playground. If we are to have any hope of having a civil, decent discourse in our society, we have to act like grown-ups, not like children. Anyway, that's what I've been hearing. If you want to stop listening at this point and go your way, I hope you've found the message instructive, inspiring, and most of all, faithful to God's Word. Please don't forget to like, rate, share, subscribe, and follow. But 
If you stick around for a few more minutes, I would like to share with you a way to amuse yourself in a wholesome manner while waiting here in Satan's world, and perhaps pick up a spiritual point or two in the process. This is what I've been playing. There is a special island, one that you've never seen, one that I've never seen, where species that were thought to be extinct still survive. Maybe not all that many of them, but they're still there. And if you go there with qualified people in your tow, you are perhaps going to have opportunity to capture these animals and bring them back for study and for breeding and to perpetuate the species. This is your role in La Isla, a Stefan Veld game that we happened upon very recently and we cannot play enough of. It's a, it's a great game. Very straightforward, uh, very engaging. Basically, you have these little human characters that go out on a board that is filled with tokens that represent various animals. And the, the rules, the English rules, say what you're doing is you're hunting these animals. What it means is you're hunting for these animals. It's a, it's a rather unfortunate uh, translation of the German that has some people all in a Twitter because you're going out and, and killing these uh, extinct animals and making them extinct all over again and how horrible this is. And, and we need to dial it back a notch and think about, in the first place, these animals that we're talking about. The, the most trophy worthy of these animals is a dodo bird, which is to say like a large chicken. All right, One of these animals is a toad. One of them is a moth. Uh, one of them is some weird squirrel looking hamster kind of thing it's these are not trophy animals we are scientists going out into an exhibition expedition we're trying to capture these animals and if you completely surround them then you get to but you have to completely surround them. there can be no space that is not occupied by your own uh, particular zoologists it's an interesting concept the idea of human beings exerting their control in the animal world and it reminded me a little bit of, of God's control over us and him forcing his way upon us. I, I love going to zoos. Uh, maybe you do also. The idea that, that human beings know better, that human beings understand habitats, they understand health and welfare, and that animals survive and thrive in captivity, generally speaking, better than out in the wild. That is a very well-established fact. Uh, you may not like the idea of captivity. I get that. I'm not sure I would like the idea of captivity either. But the idea that, that animals are better left to themselves is just not right. Not in a general sense, anyway. We are trying to involve ourselves in these particular animals because they died. And we want to keep them alive. And the implication is we know what is best. The animals don't understand that. The animals will push back from that. And, and it's not just wild animals, not just thought to be extinct animals. If you give your dog half a chance, there's a good chance he's going to run away from home. And he loves you. He wants to be with you, but he covets his freedom. He wants to be free. We understand that. We rob them of their freedom so we can give them better things. That's what we do with our custody of the animal world. If you don't believe in that, then you need to read Genesis chapter 1 and 2 all over again. Because that's clearly the role that human beings have been placed in by God. Now, you can manifest that control in whatever way you want. If you decide not to domesticate animals or you want to protest the, the poultry industry, go right ahead. That's fine. The purpose here is to emphasize that human beings know better than animals. I certainly hope that we know better than animals. And it may very well be that in our exercise of custody over these animals, there are going to be some costs that have to be paid. 
most notably freedom. But also, there may be some inconvenience. You may be relocated. There may even be some harm done. Short-term harm, hopefully. Hopefully not anything lethal. But measures have to be taken, and the animals on their own are not going to submit to this. That is exactly the way we are before our God. Psalm 46 and verse 10 uh, tells us, Cease striving in the New American Standard Bible. Cease striving and know that I am God. The more we put up a fuss, the more we argue, the more we push back, the more difficult we make it for ourselves. If we have enough faith and confidence in God's custody over our lives, we can surrender to him and trust that he knows what's best. Even if it looks like in the short term, it's the last thing in the world I want. I have enough confidence in him that he is taking me where I need to go and I'm going to be better off if I will submit to him and go peaceably instead of putting up a fuss. Romans chapter 9 uh, emphasizes this. In verse number 19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? And, in, and this is in a specific context of Jews and Gentiles and that sort of thing. But the main point that he's getting at here is that God is our creator and God knows best. And since he made us, since he invented human beings, he knows better than we do how we are supposed to live our lives. And if he picks us up from one place and puts us in another place, if he takes away something that we value and puts upon us something that we do not value, that's not because he's out to get us. That's not because he hates us. It's because he loves us, because he knows better than we do. And if we have enough faith in a loving and nurturing and benevolent God, to turn ourselves over to him and allow him to have his way with us, we're going to be much, much better off. Freedom sounds great, but if we are left free on our own, we will destroy ourselves. Freedom in Christ means being free from sin, being free from the burdens of life and hardships and difficulties that Satan brings upon us. We are freed of that so we can live the life that we were always intended to live, a life of service, a life of peace, a life of comfort, a life of joy, and ultimately an eternal life in heaven. Yes, it will hurt from time to time in this life. It's temporary though. What you're giving up is going to be more than compensated by what God's going to give you in eternity. Anyway, that's what I've been playing. Thank you for listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. If you profited from your time here, I have a few requests of you. Please pray for me and for this work. We need more citizens of heaven, and our prayer is that we be part of achieving this objective. Please subscribe to this podcast, and give a good rating on iTunes and other sites that allow you to do such things, and spread the word to your friends. Please follow my work through my website, www.halhammons.com. There you will find links to articles, videos, and books of mine. Seek me out on social media. You can find me on Instagram, YouTube, and especially Facebook. Look for me and for my pages, The Final Word, The Preacher, 20 pages a week, and Citizen of Heaven. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.